What a wonderful God. What a wonderful God. Always in awe of his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Donnie, just come. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, JR. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands. Just begin to worship. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let us be reverent in his presence. Hallelujah. Lord, there's nothing more important than your presence. There's nothing more important than your presence. In your presence, there is life. In your presence, there is healing. In your presence, there is deliverance. In your presence, there is joy. In your presence, there is hope. In your presence, there is life, and life more abundantly. We bow before you in our hearts to worship you, to adore you, to glorify you, to thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you are going to do for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Calvary and the blood that has been shed on Calvary's cross just for us. Hallelujah. You know, the beautiful thing about worship, true worship, is that it's all about Jesus. True worship is not about your church, your denomination, your favorite preacher. It's all about Jesus. And when you give him his proper place, he will honor us with his presence. And that's where miracles take place. That's where needs are met. Amen. I'm not going to hold you long. Open your Bibles real quick to Revelation chapter 20. Praise the name of I can't get that, that song you were singing. He's worthy of it all. What a song. Isn't that great? That, that just sums it all up. He is worthy of it all. Revelation 20, verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, 
and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. What is being said here? Why is this important for us to know about? Is there something more here that we can derive from the text than just what we have read? I think there is. And I want to do my best to bring that out this morning. And I've, I've simply titled this message, It's All About Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit that we have sensed, that we have felt, that we have feasted in our inner man upon. We are unworthy of anything that you have for us. But thank God in your grace and mercy, you have shed your love abroad to each and every one of us. And Lord, we know today that no matter what happens the rest of the day, we know that as a people here this morning, we can say we have been in your presence. We have felt your presence. We have experienced your love. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. If I ask you or anyone, just simple question, what is the theme of the Bible? Well, you would get, no doubt, many and very different answers, and most of them true. Some would say the theme of the Bible is, is the story of man's creation, man's fall, and man's redemption. And that would be right. Some may say the theme of the Bible is the cross, and that would be correct. But I think there's another phrase that kind of sums it up succinctly. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. As we live in the times that we are living in, this morning, way before daylight, I was laying in bed and I was thinking about our nation. I was thinking about the world. I've been on this planet 67 years. And I was looking back at different time frames, uh, important time frames in our history that we have gone through as a nation and as a people through great turmoil. I, I, I thought back to the war in Vietnam. That was my war. I can remember the day when I turned 18 and had to go register for the draft. I can remember every Sunday grabbing the morning advocate, that's uh, the Sunday advocate, our paper in Baton Rouge, and turning to a Pacific page and looking at where our, my birth date fell in the numbers to see how close I was to being drafted. And thank the Lord I wasn't. But I honor those that were. And we thank those who served their nation and their country. I can remember where I was when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. We were holding a revival in Wichita Falls, Texas. 
I can remember where I was in Baton Rouge when Martin Luther King was assassinated. I can remember watching his funeral on television and not really understanding at at an early age the full impact of that, but knowing that this was something historic. I can remember the Watergate scandal and how it blew my mind as a college student, how that we could have a man in the highest office betray the confidence of a nation. And the list goes on and on, but we have to be honest today when we look at the state of affairs in our nation, and we must recognize we are in uncharted waters. The nation has never been more divided. The nation, the things that are going, I mean, I would have never in my wildest imagination would have ever thought we would get to a place where so-called educated people are trying to tell us that there's more than two genders and that men can have babies. Come on, folk. It's ridiculous. I never thought we would get to a place where you one mess up and the entire nation wants to cancel you out. I never thought that we would get to a place where you have to walk around on eggshells and be cognizant of every little statement that comes out of your mouth. But you have to realize what's behind it. There's a spirit that's behind it. And that spirit is there to cancel out the voice of the child of God. You see, everything that's going on in this world, there's, all, there's one reason for it. It is Satan's attempt to stop the church, to stop the, uh, the work of God, to close the Bible. To, to, we are the domestic terrorists, as some would say. And I, I don't want to spend any time on that. You know what's going on. Who, who would ever thought that we would be paying $5 a gallon for gas? And... I'm not a prophet, but if something's not done, we could be paying $10 a gallon before long. Almost 9% inflation. And it's just, it boggles the mind. But as a child of God, there is hope. And there is a light shining in the darkness. Because when I look at all of these things going on, I don't have to be, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a a prophecy scholar to recognize that what we're looking at, what we are experiencing are signs of the times that is pointing to one thing, a change is coming. Somebody needs to shout. A change is coming. And briefly, let's look at what's ahead of us as a nation. Before I get into the meat of the text and what I've come to share with you, 
First of all, the next great event on the horizon, I believe according to the Word of God, is the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. I don't say that just for your applause. I don't say that for hype. But I stand on the authority of the Word of God in the last days. I, <clears throat> I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men and your old men shall dream dreams and have vision. Church, get ready. The greatest move of God is coming. The Lord is not coming back for a weak, closeted, defeated church, but He is coming back for a bride that is standing strong, clothed in righteousness, mighty and powerful. But then after that move of God, the rapture. trump of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. I'm looking. I'm listening. We understand that there is no prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. The rapture could take place at any moment. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm tired of man's inhumanity to man. I'm, I'm tired of stupid politicians. I'm tired of Jezebels in Washington. I'm tired of bozos in the White House. And that's on both sides. Hello? I'm waiting for the true ruler to call us home, the rapture. Then after the rapture will be the rise of the Antichrist. I know many erroneously think that seconds after the rapture, the Antichrist will be ruling. The Bible does not teach that. Matter of fact, it will probably be several years after the rapture takes place before the Antichrist will have his full, full position of power. Well, how can you say that? Well, think about this. First of all, we know that the Antichrist, the Bible tells us, he will come from ten nations that will arise. These ten nations are nations that are formed out of the old Roman Empire. About 27 different nations that at one time made up what we call the Roman Empire. And that cannot and will not happen overnight. First of all, we will probably see a change in the maps as far as countries are concerned. Because think about this. When millions of people are taken out of this world, economies will collapse. It's no doubt, more than likely, we will probably see among languages in common an amalgamation of nations that will have to come together just to survive because of all of the people they've lost in their workforce. And then the Antichrist will make his debut. And contrary to, per, to what many believe in the church, the, the Bible does not teach that the Antichrist will have power over every single nation in the world. He will only have con complete control over those ten nations that make up the old Roman Empire. Now, he will have great influence but we know 
scripturally that not everyone in the world will take the mark of the beast. Well, how do you, can you prove that? Go to Matthew chapter 25 and read the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations deals with the sheep nations and the goat nations at the battle of Armageddon. The sheep nations are the nations of the world that did not heed the call of the Antichrist to destroy Israel. So that tells us there's going to be some nations on this planet that will not heed the seducing power of the Antichrist. The goat nations are the nations that will align with the Antichrist. They will give over, sway. They will give their power over to him. And then after the rise of the Antichrist, where the great tribulation will come. It will be marked by a historic peace agreement that the false messiah will negotiate between the Islamic world and the nation of Israel. That will allow Israel to tear down the dome of the rock in Jerusalem, which is the third most holy place in all of Islam, and allow Israel to rebuild their temple. And that temple is not the millennial temple. It is a false temple. And the Antichrist will allow this, will broker this peace treaty, the seven-year non-aggression pact. And they will rebuild the temple. And for three and a half years, Israel will think the true Messiah is here. Everything is going great. But at that three and a half year mark, the Antichrist will come in and he will blaspheme the temple by offering up sacrifice to himself and proclaiming that he is the one true God to be worshipped. And at that moment, he would, if if he could, would destroy Israel. But the Bible tells us that tidings out of the east, this will more than likely be China and Russia, that will rise up to confront him and that he will have to go and make war and it will take three and a half years to settle this rebellion in his camp. But at the end of that time, seven years after he is defeated, those eastern powers. I said Russia and China, and it may be others. I don't know and don't really care because I'm not going to be here. Hello? If you want to stay around, go right ahead. But I'm getting ready to leave this world. And at the end of that time, then he will marshal his forces to come to destroy God's people once and for all culminating in the greatest battle the world has ever known, the Battle of Armageddon, fought in the Valley of Megiddo. I have been there many times. It is a beautiful valley, beautiful green grass, just beauty as, as beyond imagination. But we find out in this battle that the blood will run as high as the horse's bridle. And just when it looks like, the Scripture also tells us that two-thirds of Jerusalem will be destroyed. Two-thirds of Israel will die. And just when it looks like he's going to run over them and mash them and destroy them, the Word of the Lord says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will raise up a standard against him. And that standard is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. At the rapture, we're going to go up with him. And at the second coming, we're coming back with him. The only part I don't like 
is the horses. I would rather ride a bicycle. I don't want to be around a horse. I don't want to go to your farm. I don't want to go to your ranch. I'm not, look, I'm not interested in looking at your cows. I'm not in, take me to see some asphalt. I am a city boy from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. I like the smell of asphalt. The last time I rode a horse, nearly 40 years ago, well, no, it was 35 years ago, in Adelaide, Australia, we went out horseback riding, and they had those old English saddles, those little thin things. And you go riding all day. Do I need to tell you what I dealt with for about a month? I had to put bandages where places I shouldn't have to put bandages. So those horses, I definitely will have to have a glorified body. Hallelujah. And then after, at the second coming, the Antichrist will be the millennial reign. The thousand year reign. At the beginning of that millennial reign will be the judgment seat of Christ where every single believer will stand before the Lord not to give an account for salvation but to give an account for our actions to give an account of what we did on this earth with that salvation let me pause here and ask you a question what have you done with your salvation what have you done with your salvation. Are you content just to show up to church every once in a while? Are you content to throw a few dollars in the offering plate? Or are you grateful enough because you understand, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was once an alien from the commonwealth of Israel, but through the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ, we have been grafted in to the family. And no longer are we outside looking in, but we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We'll be judged. This is where reward will be given or rewards not given. At the end of the thousand-year millennial reign, Satan will be loose for a season and finally cast into the bottomless pit, the lake of fire. And then the great white throne judgment, which is where every lost person who has ever lived from the beginning until that point in time will have to stand before God and somebody asked me the other day, what is the purpose? Why would God have a great white throne judgment? Because God is fair. He will st those will stand before him. And there is no way that they can deny that they have rebelled against God's prescribed order, which is God's son, Jesus Christ. And those that are 
that stand before him at the great white throne judgment, they too will be given a new body. And then they will be cast into the lake of fire where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. As heaven is real, hell is real. As heaven is pure, hell is hot and hell is horrible. But then we get to the time that my text is speaking about, which is the new heavens and the new earth, where God will literally move from heaven and move to this earth and set up the new Jerusalem. Oh, hallelujah. Everything God does is perfect. And everything that he does is right. The Bible tells us concerning Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles 6, 6, he's, the Lord spoke said, but I have chosen Jerusalem for my name. Whether you understand it or not, we must never forget Israel is God's land. They are God's people, and Jerusalem is his city and his capital, and we are still admonished to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't mean that we agree with everything that Israel does. They are backslidden. They're in rebellion. They make bad decisions. They do bad things. So we don't support that which is wrong, and we don't support that which is contrary to the Word of God. But we understand that God's plan for them is not over. Hallelujah. And there will be a remnant. Hallelujah. Left. We understand that. And let me just pause for a moment here and bring out something else. And this is going to make some people mad. This Hebraic movement that we're seeing sweeping the church is not of God. It's not only not of God, it's evil. Why is it evil? Because the price has already been paid. And you, by you trying to keep a Seder meal and trying to do this and trying to do that, all you're doing is puffing your chest up and trying to be religious. That's all that you are doing. And it produces a self-righteous spirit and a self-righteous attitude. That this movement is wrong. It is going backwards. God told Moses as he stood on the banks of the Jordan, stretch forth your rod and tell my people, go forward. Go forward. God always goes forward. He never goes backwards. And this going backwards into the law is contrary to everything the new covenant stands for. It tells us in this new city, the new Jerusalem, there will be Walls surrounding it almost 250 feet high. There will be 12 gates to the city as I read to you. Three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west. 375 miles apart from each other. We, when we understand that, we understand how big this new Jerusalem is, 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles high. I always get amused. We get the people that call in on Mother's Program. Well, well, you know, how will we all live there? I'm like, what are you worried about that for? God's got it. He's got it all under control. Believe me, he can handle population. Hello? 
12 gates. So the question is, why 12? Well, first of all, 12 in your Bible is the number of government. And by having 12 gates, it is making the statement that in this city, the new Jerusalem, that the government of God will rule the holy city. And where the government of God is, you're talking about a perfect government. Oh, that's what we need today. We've got anything but a perfect government because God is not in control. But the day is coming. The day is coming where there will be a perfect Lord ruling and reigning over a perfect people, resting on a perfect government, the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Hallelujah. That's why we won't have a need for prisons. We won't have a need for the military. We won't have a need for law enforcement. We won't have a need for courts. We won't have a need for hospitals or doctors because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will be ruling and reigning in a perfect environment. Now think about this. The sky will be the bluest that you've ever seen. The grass will be the greenest that you've ever seen. There'll be no pollution. There'll be no smog. There'll be no disease of any kind. Everything will be perfect as God intended for it to be from the very beginning. Why? It's all about Jesus. As Jesus is perfect, he will build a perfect kingdom for his people to reside in. Now, you probably understand all of that. But then the next, on each gate will be the names of the 12 tribes. Each gate will have one name of one of the tribes of Israel. Now, have you ever thought and asked yourself, why? Why in these 12 gates? where there'll be the names of each individual tribe of Israel. Well, there's some history that you have to know. First of all, for God's plan to be carried out, a plan that we're all living in right now, the plan of salvation and redemption. For all of this to happen, God had to have a people. But before he could have a people, he had to have a man. And his name was Abraham. And through Abraham, he made a covenant. He said, through your loins, I will bring forth a people that will be as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And through his son, grandson, Jacob, would come the 12 tribes of Israel that would serve as the womb of the Messiah. Did you get that? Now, just think about this. God can do anything, but he has formulated in the Godhead this plan. Now, you better grab a hold of this, because as God brought forth Israel, that means he has a purpose and a place for all of us. Oh, hallelujah. Just think, the creator of the universe is allowing mankind 
to have a part in this great redemption story. Praise the Lord. Praise He is He has a place for you today in His kingdom to do something great and do something mighty in the kingdom of God. Oh, hallelujah. Just to think, when you get up in the morning, today, he's going to use me. He's going to use my life. I'm not just here to suck air and go to church and plop down on God's pew and throw a few dollars in the offering plate. But if I will let him mold me and make me and use me, and if I will yield to him, he will make me a useful instrument in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. used of God I remember years ago I was preaching in where was I Virginia under a tent and tents are not of God (laughs) tents everybody's like ah we're going to have an old fashioned tent revival go right ahead I'll take air conditioning any day. And, you know, you sweat like a pig. They got bugs flying around. And you try preaching and you're opening your mouth and a bug flies in. What do you do? You swallow it. And you keep on preaching. And you... You just... It's just horrible. And I mean, and it make it where it rained one night. It was in the July. And I mean, they had to lower those flaps, and it was a sauna. I mean, I lost 40 pounds. I mean, I could, it, I was soaked from the top of my head to the, and anyway, after the service, this young man came up to me. He said, Brother Swaggart, I, I am, I'm from, North Carolina, pastor in Assembly of God Church. I saw it advertised that you're going to be here, and I came to tell you this story. He said, I was born, my parents loved the Lord, but he said, I, I rebelled. In my teenage years, I started drinking, taking drugs, And he said, finally, I became a full-blown alcoholic, a full-blown drug addict. He said, I was in and out of rehab. I would go through 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and they would let me out. And within a week, I would be stoned and drunk again. And he said, "I, I, I was so ashamed of my life, but I couldn't stop. And he said, I, I began to separate myself from everybody that I knew because I was ashamed of my lifestyle. And he said, I would go to my, every once in a while, I would show up at my mom and dad's house when I would be at my worst. He said, he said, I know the Lord was doing this. He said, but it seemed like every time I would show up, it would be a Sunday morning. And he said, now that my mom and dad had a rule on Sunday morning between eight and nine, at 8 and 9, Jimmy was on. And nothing was going to interfere with them watching Brother Swaggart. And he said, I came staggering in. I would come in. They would say, sit down, shut up. And they would make me. I couldn't even go to the bathroom. 
They would make me sit there and watch the pro. He said, I got to be honest, I hated Jimmy Swaggart. He said, because every time I, he'd sing, I'd get convicted. He'd preach, I'd be under conviction. I hated it. And he said, one day, he said, I was at my lowest. He said, I, I, my life was a mess. I came in, staggered in, even then under the effects of drugs, of cocaine, and alcohol. And he said, I sat down. He said, I was so miserable. I said, I can endure an hour of Jimmy just to be in mama's house. And he said, but lo and behold, that morning, Brother Swaggart wasn't preaching. You were. And he said, you begin to tell the story. He said, you begin to share an illustration how you had just come back from Honolulu, Hawaii, preaching. And you shared the testimony of that pastor, how that he was strung out on cocaine. How that he was vice president in the largest utility company in the state of Hawaii. Living in a penthouse apartment overlooking Waikiki Beach in the heart of Honolulu. Had everything at his disposal until cocaine got a hold of him. Lost his job. Lost his fiance. Was on the verge of being evicted from that penthouse apartment. He said, I was sitting there listening to you talk about how he was then high on cocaine and he made up his mind, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to walk out on the balcony 14 stories up. I'm going to climb out over the rail and I'm going to jump off. And then all of my problems will be over. I won't be an embarrassment to anyone else anymore. I won't have to face the indignity of being on the streets with no place to live. I've lost my money. I've lost everything. And I'm going to end my life. And he said his name was Eddie Richards. I still I haven't seen him in 30-something years, but I'll never forget this testimony. And I began to share that morning over television how that he had the TV on, but he was not. He didn't really he didn't know who we were. And the TV was on a particular channel. And he had been sitting there trying to gather up the courage to go kill himself. And finally he came to the moment, I'm going to do it. Stood up, walked over, slid open the sliding glass door. Stepped out onto the patio, put his hands on the railing. Climbed over the railing, had both hands holding on fixing to let go, and all of a sudden he said, somehow the television channel changed. And he said, I heard a voice. And he said, I didn't turn up the volume. But it was like somebody walked over, not only turned the channel, but flicked the volume on high. And he said, I heard a voice. Eddie said, I heard a voice. It was dead. Come out. I heard that voice ring out. You're high on cocaine. You're ready to kill yourself. But I'm here to tell you, stop. There is one who can set you free. 
There is one who can break that bondage. There is one that can break that addiction. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Eddie Richards climbed back over that rail, walked in, sat down under that, in front of that television set. And when he got to the end, he got down on his knees in front of the television and prayed the sinner's prayer. And God broke the chain of addiction and cocaine and alcohol, saved him. A few weeks later, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, watching the telecast, watching one of my sermons, got filled with the Holy Spirit, called to preach, and now I was preaching in his church. Somebody needs to shout. That's how powerful God is. And he said, I didn't know you. I didn't know Brother Jimmy had a son. I kept, I said, who, I kept telling my friend, who is this? Who is this? He said, that's Brother Swaggart's son. And then he said, you pointed to the screen. You turned around and said, there's somebody sitting out there right now. You're in the same condition that Eddie Richards was in. But I'm here to tell you, the same God that was in Honolulu, Hawaii, is right where you are in your moment of need, strung out on drugs. And he said, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I heard a voice in my spirit say, what I did for him, I can do it for you. And he said, Brother Donnie, I looked at my parents and tears started coming to my eyes. And I said, if God can do it for a black man in Honolulu, Hawaii, he can do it for this old redneck in North Carolina. And that's exactly what he said. And he said, I fell down on my knees and God saved me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, clean me up. I've gone through Bible school and now I'm a pastor of a church and I just came to tell you. And I, I was so calm and collected. I said, oh, well, sir, it is so good to hear the goodness of God. But when they took me back to the hotel, I still remember Holiday Inn. Still had them old green plastic things on the key, metal keys. This is before. Stuck the key in, opened that door. Had the same briefcase. It's that old. I walked in that room. This ain't very holy, and you'll have to forgive me. But it hit me how God had used me. And I threw that briefcase across the room, and I said, Hot diggity dog! Devil, did you hear that? Somebody got saved. Somebody got set free. Somebody got filled with the Holy Spirit because God used me. Oh, hallelujah, he'll use you. He, has, he had a place for those children of Israel, those sons of Jacob. He's got a place for you in the kingdom. And get this, only you can fulfill your place in the kingdom. I cannot take your place. And you cannot take my place. That place may be as an intercessor. It may be as a giver, meaning God will bless you financially. And he will bless you not to heap riches unto yourself, but to be a blessing to the kingdom. He, he, will, he will use you as a faithful steward. You know, the people that are with you, they don't have to tell you they're with you. They're just there when the doors open. They're faithful. And the list could go on and on. 
So he had a plan. And that plan could not come into effect until he had a people and until he had a place for those people. That's the reason why you can read in the book of John when the woman, when Jesus came to the woman of the world, and, she, and, and he said to her, salvation is of the Jews. Meaning that God has originated this great plan of redemption and birthed it through the obedience of these people. So that's one of the reasons why. But if that was the end of it, that would be good. But there's more to it. When you look at these 12 sons that made up these 12 tribes, and you look at the meaning of their names, a story begins to be drawn out, a picture, if you will, that gives us a little bit of a greater clue. You see, all 12 of these sons of Jacob were types of Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Let's look at it real quick. I'm almost through. Let's look at the meanings of their names. Reuben means a son is born. Simeon means hearing. Levi means joined. Judah means praise. Ishkar means reward. Zebulun means dwelling. Dan means judgment. Naphtali means wrestled. Gad means troop or good fortune. Asher means happy. Joseph means added. Benjamin, his name means strong right hand. And here's the story. Through these names, as I said, they're all types of Christ. And here's why their names, individual names on each gate. As a type of Christ, Reuben, meaning a son is born, Jesus is the Son of God. Simeon, meaning hearing. Through Jesus, we hear the Father. Levi, joined. Through Christ, we are joined to the Heavenly Father. Judah, praise. Through Jesus Christ, God accepts our praises. Oh, hallelujah. Dan, meaning judgment. Through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, he has taken the judgment that every one of us deserve. Oh, hallelujah. Naphtali, meaning wrestle. Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross wrestled the powers of darkness on, 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 and on our behalf, he defeated the powers of Satan. Somebody needs to shout hallelujah. Gad, Jesus Christ is the troop who has fought on our behalf and has brought us good fortune for being in the family of God. Woo! Asher, happy. Jesus Christ makes us happy. 
Ishkar, reward. Jesus Christ is our great reward. Hallelujah. Zebulun, Jesus meaning me, meaning dwell. Jesus has made it possible for all to dwell in the house of God forever and forever and forever and forever for eternity hallelujah joseph added jesus christ is added to all believers to the kingdom of god we should be damned but he has added us he has brought us in benjamin meaning strong right hand jesus is the Father's strong right hand who has won the victory and now sits by the Father's right hand in perfect rest because the battle is over. It's all about Jesus. All those gates, Jesus. What's in the city, Jesus. The worship, Jesus. The perfection, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's saying to the world of that day, all of us that will be there, when we see those gates and they open, we are where we are and we have what we have. All because of Jesus. Not our church. Not our denomination. Not a TV ministry. Not your pastor, your favorite evangelist. But it's all about Jesus. That's why the 12 gates. That's why the name of the tribes of Israel. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. This is what I want to do. I want to go back to that song that you were singing this morning. And here's what I'm going to do. You got problems, questions. Some of you are facing situations, maybe in your home, on the job. Finances, ministry, the list could go on and on. And those things, rightfully so, plague our mind. And we understand that. But you know, many times for the Lord to give us what we need, we have to push aside the problem and focus on Him. And I don't know what your need is this morning, but as you begin to sing, I want you to get down to this altar. And just for a moment in time, let's push the problems aside. Let's push the questions aside. Let's push maybe the hurt of the heart aside. And let's focus on Him. Come on right now. Come on right now.